0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies and Liquidware. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. The story I led with last week about the Zoom vulnerability had one last devastating twist. It turns out that the local server installed didn't just allow hackers to get into your web camera. It also allowed hackers to gain full remote access to your Mac. It has been discovered now that Zoom has been found vulnerable to another severe flaw, CVE-2019-13567, that could allow remote attackers to execute arbitrary code on a targeted system just by convincing users to visit a web page. I think it probably goes without saying, but if you haven't upgraded Zoom yet, you better do that. And also, as stated last week, even if you don't have Zoom installed currently, and you did have it installed at one time, your uninstall of Zoom may not have removed that local web server instance, so you could still be vulnerable. You may want to install the latest version and then uninstall. In another quick follow-up to a story I covered last week, Microsoft has decided to rescind its decision to end the internal use rights for their partner programs after outcry from partners, according to CRN.com. If you recall, I stated last week that partners would still be able to use the partner program licensing for certain things like demonstration purposes, but many felt that the new restrictions were going to really hurt affect their learning opportunities, skilling up in different areas of what they do. So it's pretty great for those partners that Microsoft has decided to walk that back. And kudos to Microsoft for listening to what their partners and what customers want. One of the biggest announcements from Microsoft's Inspire event this week, in my opinion, was that Cloudjumper's Cloud Workspace Management Suite version 5.4 is now generally available and it supports the Windows Virtual Desktop Public Preview. Also announced by Cloudjumper is a new partnership with iGel. If you're not familiar with Cloudjumper, they were announced as one of the initial Windows Virtual Desktop partners over a year ago. You may remember the blog posts that was announcing some of the Windows Virtual Desktop, you would have seen names like Citrix and Liquidware in there, but also Cloudjumper. They have a turnkey solution for migrating to Windows Virtual Desktop or RDSH in Azure with some really nice automation and integration of great solutions like FSLogix and AppLocker. And now with iGel, they have a key partnership on the endpoint side too. They not only help you with the Azure side, they are pretty much cloud agnostic, supporting all major public clouds too. Their automation is really key. So they've got a lot of automation around deploying some of the more commonly used applications, taking away a lot of the grunt work, if you will, for managing those applications, and just managing your desktop as a service environment as a whole. They also have smart scaling type of capabilities, and if you look into the licensing, it actually tends to work out cheaper to consume things like Windows Virtual Desktop or RDSH in Azure going through Cloud Jumper rather than just straight through Azure. So if you're in Desktop as a Service or that's something you're interested in, you definitely should check out Cloud Jumper. Ars Technica had a really interesting report this week stating that Gartner and IDC reported on figures for traditional PC sales and had wildly different figures, with IDC reporting a 4.7% growth in the second quarter and Gartner reporting only 1.5%. As it turns out, Gartner does not count Chromebooks as traditional PCs and does count Surface devices, whereas IDC doesn't count Chromebooks and does count surface devices, which really paints a picture that there is a high demand for Chromebooks, which is not too surprising with their price point. Interestingly, overall sales for PCs are up, but the US is lagging behind Canada, who have seen 12 straight quarters of growth. Some of the growth has been put down to companies moving from Windows 7, with the difference between Canada and the US figures being speculated that it's because Canada is moving faster on migrating off of Windows 7 than the U.S. counterparts, at least in the opinion of Ars Technica. Ars Technica also had another interesting report this week about a state in Germany, Hess, declaring that its schools may not legally use Office 365 any longer. It had also been stated that this is true for Google and Apple's cloud solutions too. Essentially, Microsoft have stopped offering a data trustee model that meets German compliance requirements. They take issue with the fact third parties, including the U.S. government, can gain access to their students' data. Also, they are concerned about the telemetry used and the fact that this cannot be opted out of. As this is not, no longer complying with German regulation due to the lack of a data trustee model with their German Azure data center, It has now been deemed illegal. It would be interesting to see if any of the other states within Germany follow this line. It will also be interesting to see if Microsoft intends to work with them to improve upon this. I'm sure this is a concern for many organizations, particularly in Europe where GDPR is in effect. On last week's episode, I covered some of the highlights of VMware Horizon version 7.9 that was released. This week, I saw a post specific to healthcare features, which includes Improvata OneSign 6.x support, an ability to assign application icons for RDSH apps, serial port redirection in nested mode for Windows and Thin clients, as well as Epic support for their exploratory branch. Forbes reports that up to 25 million Android phones have been hit with malware that replaces installed apps like WhatsApp with malicious versions. The report suggests most victims are based in India, where, where as many as 15 million phones were infected. The malware spread via a third-party app store called 9apps.com. Typically, the attacks worked as following. Users download an app from that store, typically something like a photo utility or game or something else that maybe they would have had to pay for on the regular Google store. This app then silently installs the malware, disguised as a legitimate Google updating tool, no icon appears on the screen. Legitimate apps from, say, WhatsApp or a browser like Opera or something like that are then replaced with an evil update so they serve bad ads. Researchers have said that the ads themselves aren't malicious per se, but in a typical fraud scheme, every click In an injected advert, we'll send money back to the hackers in a pay-per-click type of system. Microsoft's Chromium Edge now contains the Internet Explorer mode feature that I talked about previously on the podcast. In order to try it out, you'll need to set a flag to enable it. Geekermag.com has a walkthrough guide if you're interested in testing it out for yourself. I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 81, on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. Or as always, you can find that in the description on your podcast platform of choice for this episode. A quick note, a few weeks ago I reported on VMware's announced acquisition of AVI Networks. That acquisition is now complete. They are now part of VMware. Avenite, who I've covered before on the podcast as a must-see vendor for anyone deploying Chrome in a non-persistent environment, have just released a new version that features a simple browser redirector to force users to a certain browser when trying to access certain sites that you've specified. This is not unique to Avenite. Uh Vendors like Turbo.net and Browsium have this type of feature, and also Policypack have a feature like this within their awesome tool, too. Even though other vendors have this, it is very welcome and it does add more value to Avenite. So just one more reason to check it out for yourself. Master Packager version 19.4.1 is now available to download. Some of the enhancements and features include the ability to edit MSP files, enhanced ODBC editing, the ability to export or add remove icons from advanced editor. And some new predefined custom actions that are built in like replace string in a text file and add a firewall exception. I previously covered the news story that Cloudflare had an issue with a bad software deployment that caused disruption to their service. You may recall I also reported that CTO John Graham Cumming said they would not fire an individual and would instead learn from it and improve. Well, he just posted a really detailed blog post about what exactly went wrong. And essentially, it was a little bit of code that when executing, started a repetitive loop that caused massive CPU consumption. Unfortunately, this was not noticed as Cloudflare were not measuring CPU usage in testing and monitoring. They have stated that within a week, they will rectify that mistake and ensure they measure CPU utilization going forward. They have also already made changes internally to ensure they have the technical resources required to respond to issues like this faster. I guess there were some hoops that their team had to jump through in order to gain the access they needed and to make the changes they needed to resolve the issue. So they're looking at ways to expedite that in future. Citrix saw an opportunity in the Cloudflare disruption. Jason Poole, manager for Netscaler sales development in EMEA, posted a really interesting blog post on LinkedIn about how their powerful analytics and Citrix intelligent traffic management jumped into action to help out those customers who use Cloudflare as a CDN by detecting the anomaly at the time and routing to other CDNs to reduce those customers' disruption. It's quite the feather in the cap for Citrix, and I'm sure those customers who were saved probably appreciate it. AWS announced Amazon CloudWatch Container Insights, which allows you to monitor and troubleshoot containerized applications and microservices running on all the major AWS services. It will provide access to dashboards that automatically discover and summarize operational data from the container environments. It will also monitor and analyze granular container performance metrics to determine resource use, and provides access to to tools for troubleshooting containerized applications and microservices, from the description of this and the images shown in the blog post that I'm referencing, which is on containerjournal.com, it sounds and looks somewhat familiar to New Vector. But New Vector obviously has a lot of years behind it now, or has relative maturity. So if that's something that interests you, I suggest you check out New Vector too. Microsoft has launched its desktop analytics into preview, which provides the insight and automation you need to help stay current with the latest releases of Windows 10. Desktop analytics is a cloud-connected service that integrates with SCCM and will integrate with Intune in the near future. Essentially the data will allow you to make informed decisions and update you on the readiness of your Windows clients for these new releases of Windows 10. In combination with SCCM Desktop Analytics is designed to create an inventory of the Windows apps running in your organization and then assess app compatibility with the latest feature updates of Windows 10. It's pretty interesting because that type of data has always been used for doing Windows desktop migrations and obviously with the new release cadence and the way the Windows 10 is moving and just pretty much most major vendors applications or software nowadays, this type of data is going to be required on an ongoing basis. So something like this is going to be critical for the success and just for the peace of mind for your desktop teams. BISF, our base image script framework version 6.1.2 will be available shortly with Citrix Optimizer Multiple Templates and Auto-Select feature now available, Windows Side-by-Side Optimization, and other cool enhancements too. And now this episode's weekly webinar. So this one is a real stretch, but there's a webinar on writing an abstract that will get people's attention. It seems aimed more at academics, but I'm thinking this could be useful for us techies too. At the moment, I'm trying to come up with some titles to submit sessions for E2EVC in Lisbon. So maybe something like this would be useful for coming up with the title that will catch people's attention or even just a description or an abstract that will grab people's attention. A common topic in user groups is how to convince management of your needs. A lot of management are non-technical and it's hard to communicate that effectively. So this could be useful for picking up tips on that too. It's going to be held on Monday, July 22nd at 2 p.m. Eastern. And now, this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. This week definitely touches on the scripts and tips aspect of the title. But as you may be aware, Citrix Smart Scale ceased to be this summer. And to help fill that void, the great Lee Jeffries worked together with others in the community, including Joe Walsh, Stanmir Chatteroff, Rukshan Pierce. And Ian Burns. I'm sorry if I butchered some names there, guys. Um, And this proves to be more than a suitable replacement for Smart Scale and is aptly named PowerScale. If you use Citrix Cloud, this is pretty much a requirement to keep your costs within reason. Otherwise, it'll be like sitting in traffic in a taxi, just watching the meter run and run and run with nothing you can do about it. You really need to be smart about how you manage your resources when you're running within a cloud. And this tool helps you achieve that, it lets you do things like uh, schedule machine management by setting a working hour schedule, an outside working hour schedule, uh, manage power cycles of the machines, powering them on, powering them off, scale machines based on performance metrics like CPU, memory, load index, session limits, force user log off, both real time just forcing them, or having a graceful user log off which waits for sessions to drain before shutting down the machines, Uh, you're able to do things like set up email alerting, and much more. If you're using Citrix Cloud right now, or maybe you're doing a proof of concept soon, this is going to be one that you want to check out for yourself. And I will share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 81, on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.